every Wednesday, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. A show about endurance, human performance, and what it really means to feel alive and present. Presented to you by Javier Pineda. My best performances was when I was like a little on the heavier side and then, you know, I fell into this trap. I started being photographed a lot with, after winning in Hawaii and I was a little self-conscious about the fact that I wasn't, I didn't look like that mean, thin athletic machine that, you know, is the stereotype. So, you know, come the next Kona, I, I did drop a lot of weight. I, and I did drop also my power. I didn't push anywhere near the power I needed to push on the bike. In my head, I thought I needed to be thinner. And welcome to another episode of the Endurance Cartel, the one and only endurance podcast. And today I have the one and only Leanda Cave, professional triathlete, now coach, and now ready to take over the whole world with Ultraman coming soon. How are you, Leanda? Good. Thanks for having me, Javier. Thank you very much for agreeing on coming along again. You were on our second or third episode, I can't even recall, and you were preparing for your first Ultraman back when we spoke, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. So that would have been July. Yeah. And you killed it, right? You got second place or first place. I can't recall. I did. Yeah. Surprisingly, I hadn't really specifically trained for it. So I wasn't really expecting anything in terms of a result. And at that point, just to finish would have been a very big achievement. And so now I not only finished, I did get second overall. And in that, I decided to take the plunge and go for the, the world champs and, and my fifth world title. Wow. And let me ask you, why Ultraman? Why not go for just kick everybody's butt on an Ironman or just why Ultraman? Why something that, by the way, who for the listeners that don't know what an Ultraman is, Ultraman is two iron distances into one event. And that's in a span of, what, three days, right, Leander? That's right. Yeah. So not all in one go, which I don't know if that would be possible. <laughs> I'm sure someone would give it a go one day, but but three days. Yeah. So over three days, it's broken down, divided into what ends up being almost equal times for each day that average for me around nine hours each day. And what's the cutoff time for every? Oh, I don't know. I don't really look at cutoff times because I'm not going to be that slow. <laughs> <laughs> How many participants are there? In the World Champs, there's only 40. So they select 40 of the applicants who apply. And with that, you have to have done a qualifying race. So mine was literally the one I did in Canada back in, in July. And yeah, why you mentioned, you asked me why Ultraman. Well, uh, the thing is, I'd done, I've done pretty much every distance of triathlon and conquered. I have a World Championship win in, in all four. So all the way from Olympic, long distance, half Ironman, Ironman. And this is the last frontier, really, for uh, triathlon. Unless they put another distance out there. Yeah, and I hope they don't. 
for my sake. So yeah, I thought, you know, the idea was planted or the seed was planted to do this race and try to shoot for my fifth world title by my fiance, Maiko. He brought this up in conversation last year. And in that time, I, I thought, why not? And then I was hit by a car door when I was out riding my bike and I fractured my pelvis. So I put this whole thing on pause and then revisited it this year. And then here we are. Wow. Let's rewind on how did the conversation start, first of all? I mean, were you guys, I mean, having like a, a glass of wine at the same time and hey, this, this, you could, I think you could win an Ultraman or something. How did the conversation come about of an Ultraman? Well, it was funny, Mike, we both moved here in November of 2020, right? And I had a lot of people I knew here, but Michael didn't. But one person he did know here was a friend from Brazil, he's Brazilian, who does Ultraman. So his friend being an avid triathlete was keen to like meet up. And so we met up with his friend and his friend's family. His name's Alejandro up in somewhere like Delray Beach, somewhere up there. And that was when I was like kind of first exposed to someone doing Ultraman. And I think after that, we came home and and that's where the conversation started. My coach just literally said, hey, wouldn't it be good if you started doing Ultraman and then won your fifth world title. And so <laughs> that's how we ended up right where we are now. And let me ask you, have you ever done an ultra marathon? No, I don't know if I'll plan to. I guess uh, technically, yes, because it's part of this race. It's um, a 52 mile run. And I don't know what ultra marathons go up to, but I think they start around 52 or 50 miles. So yes, technically, yes, as part of this event in July, but actually just going out to do one as an independent event, no. And I'm, I'm not sure I will, to be honest. I like running. But I think there's a point where running stops being enjoyable and I don't want to, I want to keep enjoying it, you know. And I feel like it's with all these distances, there's a point where it's not fun anymore. It becomes very difficult and more of a mental challenge and a physical challenge. So I'm doing this event as like kind of like a one and done thing for this year. And I'll try to shoot for the the goal of getting my fifth world title and whatever the outcome is, the, you know, that's, that's the outcome. I'm not going to be pursuing this for the next five to 10 years, just trying to get myself a world championship. At this point, I'm just trying to do it and achieve what I can and walk away very happy and proud of what I've accomplished and move on to something new, but I'm not, I'm, I, doubt that will be ultra distance running. <laughs> Have you ever thought about writing a book? Because honestly, with all this going on, I mean, it's like, as I remember Dean Carnessis when he wrote the book Ultra Marathon, man, the ultra community was very underground and they were kind of ticked off by the fact that he brought that thing up to light. And I wonder if if it's like this in, in Ultraman or, or whatnot, but you should definitely write a book on all your achievements and especially you sealing the deal with the Ultraman. Yeah, you know, I I have written a book while well, I've drafted a book. It's not published. It's very raw. And I don't know if people understand writing a book and actually getting a book published are two very different things. And I've put a lot of money into having someone help me write this book. And then you go down the publishing route. It's It's not easy. And maybe, you know, a conversation for another day. But at the end of the day, I, I did. A lot of people told me I should write a book. But when push comes to shove, like getting that book on the bookshelves is 
very difficult. And I, I got to a point where I just felt like I can't really do, go any further without a huge injection of money or just someone saying, let me publish it for you. And that's, you know, those sorts of resources are out of my control. I guess that's your next achievement after this one, because I mean, you've got such a fascinating story overall from how you started the sport of a triathlon to where you are right now and just the setbacks that you endured, you know, and with going through skin cancer, going through so many plethora of injuries, which by the way, I meant to ask you, when you have something in your head, like something that, for instance, a stress, in this case, cancer or an injury, can you still compete at such a high level with so many things going on in your head like this? At least for me, I, that's the way I see it. But how did you cope with that? I mean, injuries are very common for most athletes. You have to be a very exceptional athlete not to be injured. And that's not necessarily something that you can control. We all have our own physiology and biomechanics. And sometimes like we're not built the same way as other people. And we have to just accept that sometimes certain things in our bodies break down. And I had a lot of early issues with stress fractures. Um, I was very thin and I had pretty weak bones when I was young and, you know, then moved on to other injuries because I'm very long and lean and insertion issues with my tendons. So things like that, I was having issues with. And then major issues from bike crashing. And then, you know, you mentioned skin cancer. I had that too. So, you know, my, my life has been living and training and racing in the sun. So I guess at some point I was, and I probably will still expect to be taking care of some issues with my skin. So I guess it's kind of like, this constant revolving door of maintenance and you know if I do have an issue like working on that and with the beauty of triathlon you've got three sports so kind of focusing on another discipline while you're kind of out of action with the one you're injured with mm -hmm. yeah I totally agree with you and I mean if you do a sport you got to just be ready to get injured what have you done different in the sense of trying not your best not to get injured with past injuries like old injuries have you done more strength training or just put a little bit more loving care into that area? How have you come about with that? Well, there's there's a variety of injuries and I would say yes to I have I've incorporated strength and conditioning. I've actually done that pretty much my whole life. I just feel like it's evolved a little bit with being more specific to my body type. I just I feel like I've been a little bit smarter with my training. I don't necessarily overtrain anymore. And at one point I was, I was overtraining and then you run into the, the issue of having one of those injuries that is a result of that. So I've taken care of like that as well. So I've, I train within my my parameters and it's hard often for an individual to recognize that because most athletes, especially with the mindset that I have, they want to do more, not less. And a coach often is the person to hold them back. And I'm self-coached. So um, I have to be very cognizant of my body and just really realize like, oh, I need to take a break or I need to have a rest or this is actually too much. And I have to be very aware of those signals that tell me that or give me that information, that, that feedback. And Often like now, and, and that took some years in, to develop and, and be a little bit more um, like just body conscious. And I think some people, 
especially like younger people, they don't recognize those signals or understand what they are. And what do you think they are for in many cases? Like, for instance, some of your athletes tell you, hey, Leanne, I'm not really sleeping very well, or I'm feeling like kind of blah all the time. I can't really get my energy. Some, something along those lines, correct? Yeah. I mean, you, you pretty much touched on some of the classic signs of overtraining, which is lack of sleep or just being unable to sleep, not being able to get their heart rate ex- like high on the high on the harder intervals or harder training workouts struggling with um, energy levels so you know they kind of feel like they want to eat all the time because they they haven't got the energy so sometimes it's actually weight gain other times they don't have an appetite so it might be weight loss and just you can tell like just generally speaking to to athletes on a regular basis where they're at physically and mentally so I have a lot of communication with my athletes and then when they tell me, oh, I'm, you know, I just sense like, oh, I'm just feeling really tired and I'll do the workout, but just don't have the motivation, like things like that. I mean, it's that's just classic signs that they're kind of like on the limit. And it's hard to sometimes from a coach perspective because nine times out of 10, like athletes should not be training on a fresh body, right? There has to be some overload in the training that helps give them like the improvements that they're looking for in training and that transfer over to racing. Um, so if they're always fresh, then they're probably not training enough. So, you know, you want to be aware of what's not normal. So there might be an athlete who's always complaining of being tired. Well, that athlete's probably just, you know, not quite as tired as what they make out. But then there might be some other signs that you can tell by just looking at them and thinking, oh, okay, now this is a different sort of tire than the one they're always complaining about. Right. And I get the impression that you have so much knowledge, not only because of your experience as an athlete, but now as a coach. Have you seen yourself suffer from, let's say, the the curse of the coach in the sense of knowing too much and then going and, and like, for instance, you're going to be racing pretty soon and having all that knowledge, does, does it come in between your performance No, I feel like even though, yes, I do have like a, I would say more of like a a knowledge of being in the sport for so long and experiencing a lot. Uh, And that's where I draw, draw a lot from. I do study and I do courses on the side just to, to add to my own um, knowledge. But when I'm out racing, I think everything I've learned helps me. It doesn't detract from my performance. So I end up actually having a better performance, if anything, because of the wealth of knowledge that I've accumulated over the years. And do you tend to shoot from the hip during a race or do you have everything so like you're so methodological, like you can you go like Maka, I know, would go things on a spreadsheet, things like that. Are you just that methodological with that or do you just shoot from the hip? I'm just like, I know what I'm going to do. I got my I got my game plan going or how do you work with that? It depends. Like there's some things which I'm, you know, very good at intuitively and those things like I run with without having to put a lot of uh, mental effort into. But then other things like I really need to be more methodology. Gosh, that word. Methodological. I know, right? It's a tongue twister. And, you know, that would be, for example, nutrition. Um, I have to be a little bit more dialed in with nutrition because it doesn't come instinctively to me. And so that I would write down and I would have a very specific nutrition plan. Pacing, I have that 
dialed in. Like I'm, I'm very, like I said earlier, like I'm very body aware and I can understand like what's too hard and too easy. And I also have all the, the data in front of me on my bike computer, my watch, so I can see where I'm at, heart rate and pace and power. So those sorts of things, maps and things like that, like directions, that's sometimes where I struggle a little bit. So I, you know, download maps onto my, my device so I know where I'm going. I like to have a plan leading up to a race just for timing. So like maybe the two days before a race, like I'll have like what time I'm doing something specific, like training or eating, or if I have an interview or things like that, like where those fall in line and then work my way around that with everything else. So people, and I share that with people. So people in my crew and my camp, they know where I'm at and what I'm doing. um, And they know when I'm available and when I'm not available. So again, those sorts of things, like it's a little bit of both ways for me. I heard you speak with Lance Armstrong on on his podcast, and you guys touched on a very interesting topic, which is the technology piece. And you just mentioned a whole bunch right now. In the race in Kona, in Ironman Kona, there was so much technology. And uh, you guys were debating on whether technology played a big role on the performances, especially in the Norwegians that they just smashed. Everybody smashed times, even Sebastian Kinley, who wanted to just check out from the sport. And he managed to just lower himself from eight hours. But the Norwegians, especially, they, uh, you guys mentioned that they had that glucose monitor. And I don't think you guys went too much into it, but I wanted to ask your thoughts about that because I mean, knowing where your glucose is at certain points in the race, I mean, it's, that's a big advantage. I mean, as opposed to being intuitive or trying to be intuitive when you're just fatigued of knowing where you are in, with nutrition and hydration and whatnot. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? So, yes, it is good to know. And the thing with your blood glucose levels, it's they're going to be exactly what you would assume based on what you're consuming. So, for example, if you're racing at high intensity, you're going to burn through your glucose levels a lot quicker than at when you're station like static. And so you're going to see that your blood glucose levels decrease. And when you take in nutrition, you're going to see them increase, spike, and then come back down to like more of a kind of stabilized level. Knowing that in a race, um, it's probably probably more of a cue than it is anything else. I don't think there's a huge advantage to actually seeing that data other than probably just having some cue to say, oh, I think it's time to have some a gel. So typically, you know, when when a lot of athletes consume a gel every 30 to, to 40 minutes and and maybe some people have them more frequently than that, they kind of drip feed a little bit more than they, they take calories all in one go. They're just doing what exactly would that you know glucose monitor would tell them anyway and i think having it in a race is probably more of a like it's kind of like just a, a crutch to have that information in front of you i don't think people would gain a lot of an advantage just knowing what that number is to be honest so and and honestly i've used a continuous glucose monitor i use super sapiens uh, when it first came out and i was fortunate enough to also get some education around using the device. And I found it very, very 
useful for um, just a certain period of time, just to understand personally where my glucose levels lie, what's low, what's high, like what happens when I eat, what's the best nutrition to eat to have like, you know, limited spikes in, in glucose levels and things like that. So it, it, it was great for me just to get an understanding. And then once I've had that, like I've got that knowledge now, I can go with that and use that moving forward without having the, the monitor in use all the time. So I guess to my point is once you have that knowledge or you understand, you know, basic uh, sports nutrition, I don't think it's uh, highly valuable to have that in a race. It's just kind of like looking at watch going, oh, I'm at like 95 or I'm at 100. Like, you know, it's it's not really going to make a big impact on someone's performance. Yeah, because I, I kind of scratch my head. It's like, wow, listen, it's just, if it can help them, I mean, why not? Because I've, I've seen people with glucose monitors, but I haven't been that educated on it. And it really sparked my curiosity when, when I heard you guys speak about this, like that they may be onto something in these Norwegians. You never know, right? Yeah, I think what's really useful is what they probably learned afterwards once they downloaded the information. So, you know, looking at that and just seeing like correlations between like when Ivan like took off on the or like surged on the run and and kind of broke Christian and made that and created that gap, right? Like it'd be interesting to see from sports science perspective where their glucose levels were and if if that fall was coincided with uh, maybe a lack of nutrition consumption on on one part versus the other or something like that and and how efficiently maybe Christian versus Ivan are, are consuming glucose right but again it's very personal it's not like a one shoe size here for everybody I feel like whatever Christian is doing is not exactly going to be the same as what Ivan is doing anyway so I think it's all relative to everyone's human body and and how their body functions around certain things. But I think you can use these tools to improve your performance, especially in training. And then once you've kind of got an understanding, like then it can be translated over to a race. Let me ask you something. Uh, Now that you spoke about Christian, he is the first triathlete I see that probably because everybody's like 5% body fat. And he, you see this Norwegian bear just coming along and it's like, I, he seems to have a, like a much bigger body. I don't know, his mental strength co- coupled by his physical capabilities. It's the first time I ever see something like that in Hawaii, by the way. I mean, or, or in, in a major championship, just a bigger dude just killing everybody. Yeah, you know, it's it's... And I like that you brought this up because I think this is where a lot of sport kind of lacks in awareness is it's it's not all about body type like you can be an athlete and be on the bigger side and and it's it, you're not just fitting into this stereotype if I say this from a female perspective and I see a competitor that's on the larger side I'm accused of being you know saying something about you know females in sport but it's just it's good that you know you see this also in in on the male side where it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be this this certain body type to be a fantastic athlete, you can be a little bit on the bigger side. And you, you see Christian Blumenfeld 
he does carry a little bit more weight and but still you know he performs at that level and he's not not only performing at the Ironman level he's also performing at the Olympic level he's won gold at the Olympics and so it's good and it's healthy because I think a lot of athletes look in the mirror and judge themselves not just the people around them based on on how they look and I think that's it's not really anything about how you look in sport it's how you perform and that's what speaks the larger language here right and so now we're seeing like you know an athlete who's performing who's kind of like not in this normal or what we would say would be this normal range of stereotypical athletic body i agree i mean i remember when i was training with this guy who was so rigid as you got to be thin or you cannot compete and he would just he would call, call me a fat ass basically all the time I'm like, what the hell, man? And <laughs> and I managed to just cut some weight. I I um that's I cut cheese by then. I my fiance at the time and now wife, she's French, so she would have a lot of cheese at the house. And I got in one day and it's like, hey, listen, this person called me fat. So we just gotta get rid of all the cheese right now. And uh I'll and all this. She was like, Why? You're not fat. <laughs> but my point is that I dropped a lot of weight that even that I did not even perform as I uh, well could have, you know, but that's just one little example of a lot of people. They're trying to lose weight and then losing power at the same time, losing a lot, not only power, but strength. And also at some point, their identities, because there's a misconception that you should be this frame to in order for you to compete. You should be this in order to compete when it's not you know there's no one size fits all in the sport and this guy just proved it that's true i mean you you mentioned your example i have a very similar one where my best performances was when i was like a little on the heavier side and then you know i fell into this trap i started being photographed a lot with after winning in Hawaii and I was a little self-conscious about the fact that I wasn't I didn't look like that mean thin athletic machine that you know is the stereotype so you know come the next Kona I I did drop a lot of weight I and I did drop also my power I didn't push anywhere near the power I needed to push on the bike I and like you said that that was the difference like just because I in my head, I thought I needed to be thinner, but in fact, I was actually pretty good being a little bit more on the heavier side. And, and I'm, I'm thankfully blessed in, in ways that I, I don't struggle a lot with my weight. I mean, I fluctuate a few pounds here and a few pounds there. Which is healthy, right? Yeah, but, you know, I still notice it. Like we're talking like from one, one year versus the other, um, five pounds. And for most people, that's negligible. But when, you know, I'm, I'm a, pretty lean person to begin with that that weight loss was a lot you know and so with that it did cost me strength and power on the bike yeah and sadly enough I mean it's a lot of coaches not you but a lot of coaches tell their uh, athletes not to strength train because they might gain some muscle weight and it might affect them when if anything it just helps them yeah there's a lack of understanding sometimes from that from that perspective that I think the coaches who are very up to date with current sports science know and understand the importance of strength training 
But you do have coaches who, you know, may have come from an athletic background, achieved great success in their day, and they're just running with what they know and don't really update their knowledge on what is current. And like we see, you said earlier, the, the Norwegians and what they're doing. And if you don't keep educating yourself, like you're, you're falling aw- further and further away from, you know, what these guys are being able to achieve and, and to help your athletes also achieve similar results. These Scandinavian guys, man, they're on another, they're on just on another level. <laughs> I mean, they're just amazing. And and it's that they're, they've just been also, I mean, we look at also from a very black and white perspective, like what they're doing in the performances right now, but it's been a long time leading up to that. We don't see the history, history or like how long they've been training and these ki- these guys have been training in triathlon since they were kids, right? They've been coming through the sport from a very young age. And with triathlon in particular, it is more of a new sport. So there's not a lot of athletes who come to the sport, like at least on, in my generation, like who came to the sport from being a triathlete when they were a kid. So these these guys are coming to the sport as triathletes from a kid's or, you know, child and being then like gradually processed into a better athlete as they as they mature and get older and uh, you look at it in swimming uh, swimmers like they start when they're like you know four or five years old and you know they mature as as swimmers in their late teens early 20s so we're looking at now that same dynamic with triathlon so yeah so listen since we have a brand new show by the way so we have a, a whole revamp so we have this three questions we call them the cartel exchange Okay, so this is where we have three questions for you, which is kind of like getting to know you more in the sense of getting a little bit more intimate into not only your knowledge, but in the experience, but also the one and only in the cave. So my first question to you would be a moment when endurance played a role in making you a superhuman. What moment did did you say, man, I mean, this endurance, it catapults you into like maybe when you were starting with triathlons or when you won your first championship, when did you see endurance become this eliteness and in your end for personally I I mean I noticed I was better endurance wise than I was in in any other distance because I could see just myself compared to other athletes I would keep going when other athletes would just start flailing including boys Including boys, yeah. I mean, obviously, like at a, to a certain age, like your like males and females are quite similar, and then you know, like adolescence happens, and um, we go through like some hormonal changes, and then you know, boys get essentially stronger. But at the same time, like the endurance side never really shifts. So even as I became older and sure, like over short distances, you know, I was never great from just with from a female perspective but any you know anyone can beat me in a sprint but you know put that over the distance of like 100 miles I would be fine I wouldn't need to stop I I didn't need to drink or eat as much I was more of an of a diesel engine than I was like a you know a formula one engine and I just like keep going and going and going when everyone just starts falling around behind me so that's when I started noticing just like from a young age, my first sport was swimming and I could just keep pushing out like the workouts in the pool and the repetitions for at the same intensity for much longer than uh, my peers. And, you know, eventually, uh, you know, we move on to different sports and the same thing would happen. So 
it was very clear to me that I had more ability in endurance sport than in short distance. Were you always competitive with your sister, by the way? Uh, yes and no. My sister was probably more on the, she liked the social side of sport, definitely more of an extrovert personality than me growing up. And so she wasn't so focused um, on winning and, and achieving the results that I ended up doing because there was like the social aspect, which is what she enjoyed more. And maybe I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for my sister, but that's just, you know, from my side, from what I looked at and what I saw, um, she might argue something different. But for me, you know, I, I didn't have a very big personality. I was quite shy. And so I actually enjoyed the, competitive side of sport because that was kind of my voice that was my currency through life is just like you know you I, I can't say much but I can certainly like show you what I what you know what I can do right and that that enabled me to um, get confidence and some notoriety amongst my peers so your language was competition that's basically it yeah right <laughs> And were you more competitive with yourself or just the fact that you just wanted to beat Joe Schmo? Um, no, I mean, anyone I lined up with, I wanted to beat any, even today, like that competitive side of me, it never goes away. So it wouldn't matter what the race was or who was next to me. It, I want to beat them. It's just, that's my nature. And who inspired you? I like, is there a person that inspired you in, I want to be like this person right here in this sport? Who's your role model with all this? You know, I'm going to come back to my sister because like anything she did, I wanted to do. And I wanted to, like, I wanted that popularity. I wanted to be the my my sister. Like she was, all, had all the friends, the boys, every, you know, everyone loved my sister. So I wanted to be like her in, and I knew I couldn't do that through my personality. So again, you know, sport became my voice and she would do a sport and I'd be like, oh, I'll do that one too because my sister's doing it, you know? So like from an early age, it was just like kind of following my sister and she hated it, but that's what siblings do. And gradually, like I, the more I became fixated on one sport in particular, I'd find a role model. So, you know, in triathlon, very young, I was in Australia, there'd be names I could throw out like Brad Bevan or Greg Welsh. He's still around commentating for Ironman. Those sorts of people I would see on TV and I'd be like, oh, I want to do what they do. Uh, I want to be like them. And so that they became my role models in triathlon. In swimming, same thing. I grew up swimming in Australia and um, like Kieran Perkin, Susie O'Neill, like these names, they were like my role models who I looked up to and I was like, I want to be like them. So it's kind of like, you know, media for me, like when you see people on TV and um, in magazines, and that's why I think it's really, really important that we, you know, we showcase all the minor sports, not just like the major ones like baseball and, and soccer and NFL and basketball. That's not just those big major sports and those big leagues, but like these smaller sports, like a lot of kids take role models from them too. And I think that's why, you know, for me, I had that opportunity in Australia to, to find role models in sports that I wanted to do and what I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. You know, I can relate to a lot of what you said in the sense of like, I was uh, growing up, I had this, I don't know, I, sometimes I feel like I could not, not to fit in, but I mean, it's like trouble communicating what I would feel sometimes or co trouble communicating certain things about me and for some reason, swimming, biking, and running kind of made me feel at ease because I, I think in, uh, like triathlons is a very lonely sport. So it's, I'm, I'm very, I'm a loner guy, 
but I also like to socialize, but it's something that about the sport that makes me feel whole. Uh, there's a wholeness to it. It kind of, in a way, it may sound tacky, but it completes me. And um, I don't know if it's, it kind of goes in with what you were saying in, in the sense of also sometimes, because I am very shy. I am very timid. And it was very hard for me to express a lot of the things. And I used the sport to kind of like be at ease with my emotions. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. It's, yeah. I feel like triathlon's a beautiful sport because there's the individual aspect and there's also like the community aspect of the sport. And I think that's the community of triathlon is very endearing and supportive. And, you know, you can go out and train on your own or you can go and find someone to train with. It's not like you have to be part of like a group 24-7 and there's that flexibility. So you can kind of fit into that mold based on the personality you are. So someone like yourself, me too, you know, I needed me time. I need to like train on my own sometimes. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, I haven't really talked to anyone in three days. Probably should <laughs> train with a group. So, yeah. I agree. And it, you can get lost in the, in the social aspect of this sport. Because I felt that I, when I started with my own friends of triathlons, it's like that's my, that was my world. That was, I, I could not relate to anybody else outside that world. That was it. That was it. So it, it was, it, it, there has to be a, a fine balance, like you said, you know, <laughs> I mean, so. So that was my, actually my second question of who inspired you most. And my third question would be just what advice would you give everybody? If you would want that piece of advice, let's say this is, this would be like the conclusion of your book right now. What advice would you give to all the listeners that just still hail you as the, you're the woman, you know? Yeah, I... I was fortunate enough to be successful, as successful as I am, because I never gave up. And there were many times when I could have and um, when all the odds were against me. And I just kept going. And, um, and I think that doesn't just apply to sport. It applies to everything in life, right? Like life's happening so fast now. Every, everybody wants something yesterday. There's social media. So everyone, everybody sees like the here and now and they don't see the process. And there's a process to everything and things take time. No one goes to university in one day and comes out with a degree the next. It takes time. And it's like anything in life. It takes time. So eliminate this idea that you're going to have instant success and understand that it takes time and you shouldn't give up along the way. Everybody has their struggles. Be consistent and don't try to be an overachiever. Just keep riding the wave and eventually like you'll get to the top and you'll start seeing the results. That's beautiful. You're amazing. Because we live in, in an era of, in a push of a button, you have things in, in your doorstep. And it, life is not like that. And I mean, like, yeah, well, from your experience, like in triathlon, it's different from mine. And I'd be very interested to get your perspective on what you feel like you can tell your listeners from your endurance point of view. Well, my, you know, as an age grouper, I enjoyed the, the first the social aspect and the winning some sides of my age group. But like I said, going back to the emotional aspect of it, I cannot relate to you more than the fact of it goes back to helping me cope with a lot of the feelings I kept also um, running away from in a way. And it's this year kind of sucked for me in a way that 
I went skiing with my wife and, and kids and I've been dodging the skiing part for years and years and years because I train people for a living and this is my, my uh, livelihood, you know? And so I was dodging the fact of going skiing and then uh, I got injured snowboarding, even though I had a great time and I messed up my, my uh, medial meniscus and I haven't been running. But there's the silver lining of all this is it has settled me in the sense of being more at ease with my emotions, being more at ease with why I do the things I do, why do I run? I mean, do I run because I'm running away from something I've been trying to deal with my own personal life or do I run because I really want to run? So things like I've been forced to be asking the hard questions on my end, if that makes any sense. No, I get it. I, It's funny because I... One of my coaches, when I was very young, he said to me, like, stop worrying about what might happen, Leander, because that's holding you back from what could happen. And you got this opportunity to go skiing with your family and do these great things and have great memories, which are different and, and probably more rewarding than, you know, going to the beach and sticking an umbrella in the sand, right? And you're just scared of doing that because of the potential of getting injured. And you got injured, but life goes on, right? You woke up the next day, you're still training people, you're still working. Maybe it could have been a lot worse. Maybe you might not have been injured at all, but just that worry side is like holding a lot of people back from like going forward and moving into a space that makes them uncomfortable. So I think, you know, we all, we all learn in those ways as and I think that's coming you know a bit of wisdom as we get older yeah and when I read about all the injuries that you went through and then you nevertheless kept on kicking everybody's butt but it, it get, get, injuries are, are a silver lining I feel they give you a new perspective on things they're a blessing in disguise because it just really comes it they never come alone no, I mean, I've learned more from the struggles than I've learned from winning races. So, and injuries being part of those struggles. So for sure. And Leanne, listen, I wanted to ask you what, just, I want to give you a good shout out to your business. Anything that you want to promote? Yeah, well, right now, I, as you mentioned early on, I am training for the Ultraman. Um, but I think people need to know that I'm doing it for a bigger purpose than just myself. I am raising money for charity. So you'll if I would love people to donate, the link is in my Instagram handle. And I'm also coaching, like you said, my fiance also. So we have a coaching business. So that's Club Leander Cave. My Instagram is just Leander Cave. And so, yeah, follow along. And then honestly, I'm, I'm always happy to connect with people and um, and help people answer questions if they have any issues or want to like, you know, randomly have a question out of the blue about something. I'm not like, I, I always get back to people on Instagram, as you know. We will also be putting this on the show notes as well, uh, everything you just said. And uh, I also remember that you were have a link also for the University of Miami for the cancer research. Yeah, that link is on, on my Instagram in my bio. And also Design District is nice enough to actually be sponsoring you as well. Yeah, the Miami Design District is my title sponsor. And what's great about that is like it takes a lot of the financial stress off me doing the Ultraman. So every every dollar that gets donated goes directly to the cause. There's nothing that I, I spend from any of the donations, which I think is really important for people to know. That's, uh, yeah big one and also yeah it's as an age grouper one thing i wanted to add that now that you mentioned the financial aspect of it one day i decided to just look into my uh, financial statements 
And man, I spent a lot in triathlons. <laughs> and, and the fact that you have to travel, not only you have to register for an Ironman that now costs a thousand bucks almost, you have to spend to go to the X location, spend on hotels, and a race really becomes like a, a good 10 grand at the, at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, look, everyone has their vices, right? I mean, you could people could argue that they go and spend like thousand bucks on a night a nightclub and thousands of dollars on a hotel in Vegas and blow like 10 G's gambling and you know, at the same time, I feel like I'd rather spend my money doing this than and have like a positive outcome than wake up the next day with a hangover and and wonder what what I did wrong. Like that's amazing. It, exactly. It's you know that friend of mine actually said to his wife, "Baby, do you want me to just go cycling with my friends in the morning? Or you want me to come back at this hour from a strip bar?" The wife had no answer for that. <laughs> so it's yeah, yeah. I think this is like the smarter decision and healthier one, right? We're in a very healthy sport and it's a very healthy thing that we're all doing. Yeah, all these things are going to go in the show notes. And uh, thank you, Leanda, for being with us for a second time. You have been very inspiring, very knowledgeable as always, very courteous and nice. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in Ultraman. Uh, we'll be rooting for you. I will definitely be following you. I don't know if the whole time, but I will definitely put a, a little beep on my phone to see how you're doing and it's ultraman.com right the the website to follow you on the on the race it is but their, their facebook page is a little more informative if you follow me on social media i'll either get someone to do a takeover for my account or i'll point you in the direction of the person who will be doing most of the updates but ultraman it's like you know it's three days long and it's you know it's not really a follow-along sort of sport more of a like an update sort of thing so exactly <laughs> it's gonna be a long weekend but it's gonna be a hell of an experience yeah yeah so i look forward to people following me hell yeah i'll, I'll follow you at least and uh thank you very much Leander. and also just for everybody that just listened make sure to like us subscribe to our podcast uh we are everywhere that you get your podcasts also support our patreon and those can be found in the link we also have a nice a new website endurancecartel.com and i look forward to everybody's comments on uh, this amazing podcast we look forward to our next guest every wednesday you will be listening to us so stay tuned for that and also guys thank you very much once again and we look forward to hearing from you soon thank you for listening to endurance cartel i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did subscribe to the podcast and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Join our cartel by supporting us on Patreon and receive other perks. Hey, why not? Maybe even become a guest. Ah, I almost forgot. Join our website at endurancecartel.com. And if you like, leave us a message with a question or topic that interests you. And we may even feature it on our future episode. You can also find more information about our episodes by visiting our blog and subscribing to our newsletter. That's it for now. We'll see you next time. Same place, same vibes. Be good. Endurance Cartel.